Children ages four through fifth grade can be dismissed for Children's Church. My name is Sarah K. Mooney. I'm a member of the Windy Hill Community Group, and I help with internal communications here at the church. And I will be reading today's scripture passage this morning for you, which is different from the one in the bulletin, as Jacob explained. This will be from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, and to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Thank you guys for having me. I always love being here. Um, next time I'll take a little bit more, uh, a little bit more warning, but um, <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Um, yeah, it's always great to worship with you guys. Let me, let me pray before we uh, look at God's word. Um, Jesus, we uh, need you to be present with us this morning, um, just like we need you every morning. Would you um, show up? Would you accompany our worship? Would you teach us from your word? Um, would, you, would you help us to see uh, the beauty of your love for us? Would you help us to uh, see our identity as one who uh, is loved by you, uh, one who um, has been pursued by you and adopted by the Father. Lord, would you change us through your word this morning? I pray in Christ's name. Amen. So I, I'm a pretty big uh, football fan. I don't know if uh, any of you guys uh, have your sports team. Uh, I went to the University of Oklahoma, and so the, the Oklahoma Sooners are my team. I try to keep up with them uh, every week during the fall, and so I'm excited um, that the season is going on right now. And um, there's something funny that, that happens every time I watch a game. Um, I start to think about the stories of individual players. I don't necessarily, uh, like, I'm not thinking about like the team as a whole, but actually each individual and, and what their story might be like. And I've actually had this conversation during a game, which didn't go over all that well, but I had this conversation wondering if I'm cheering for my team and uh, I'm kind of yelling at my player to do what's right, I'm actually cheering against the other team. And if I'm cheering against that individual, I start to wonder, you know, what if like football is all that other team has? Like, What if uh, the guy on that other team has parents who are so disapproving of him and so perfectionistic that if me cheering against him actually 
like makes him miss that play, his life is going to go horribly. What if that's the case? This kind of conversation doesn't get you invited back to many uh, football watch parties, by the way. I don't know why. But here's what happens. When my team, my, when my quarterback has the ball and he's throwing it to a receiver, here's what I do. I yell, catch it! Catch the ball! Go score a touchdown! Because when I'm watching my team, I am talking to my players. I'm not talking to the other team right now. I want my team to do well. I have certain ideas for my team. I want my team to know that I am behind them. I'm having a conversation with them right now. And when, we're, when we look at the book of Ephesians, what we realize is that Paul is talking to the church. He has pushed everything aside to have a conversation with his people. And in doing so, he is trying to tell the church something in particular. He wants us through the whole book of Ephesians to know what it means to be the church, to know what it means to be a child of God. Many other letters uh, that Paul has written and, and throughout the Bible uh, are more explicitly evangelistic. And this, this letter is intimate. It's for us. And it's meant for us to see who we are. What it means at all that Jesus has saved us and we are set aside as his children. The point of especially this first chapter is to give the Christian his identity. I think as those who, who uh, hopefully profess faith in Christ, it's really easy for us to confuse our identities, to get our identity caught up in all kinds of other things. And so you and I are going to leave worship this morning, and we're going to go out, and we're going to want to be the employee who gets stuff done, who's advancing in their career, who's doing everything right, and that, that will become our identity. It's a temptation. Or we're going to leave here and we're going to want to uh, be the parent whose children does everything right, who doesn't embarrass us, who, who gets good grades, who grows up to make us proud. And it, and it can become our identity. It can become consuming. Or you want to be the student who gets the best grades or the friend who has other friends come to them for advice. And we can get wrapped up in all kinds of other identities. And Paul here wants to ground us again and give us our identity. Because the problem is, having an identity outside of anything but Christ is by nature temporary. And as you go through trials and struggles, as you go through different stages of life, you all have a moment, we all have a moment where we can look in the mirror and wonder, who, who even am I anymore? What is my identity? And that's why the scripture is such a grace to us because it grounds us in an identity that is permanent. An identity that is unchanging because our identity is not something that's, that's found necessarily inside us. It's actually found in the person and work of Jesus and what he has done for us. So that's what I want, to, want us to look at uh, this morning. Two ways from this scripture that we see our identity in Jesus. The first is that uh, you and I are one who was loved first. 
Look with me at, uh, at verse 4. Paul says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before God. And this means that before the world was a thought that God looked at you and I and he loved us, that he knows everything about us. He, could, he, he saw into the future. He saw our lives. He knew our fears and our anxieties. He knew our, our sins and how we would rebel from God. And he loved us first. He initiated his love for us. He saw us and didn't run away, but actually said, I want to lavish my love on her. And so this is how deeply God loves us, that he didn't delay in his love. He doesn't sit back and and wait for us to initiate, but he loves us with such a deep love that he had to move first, that he had to pursue you and I because he loved us and because he knew that because of our great sin, we created a gap between uh, him and us that required him to initiate his love for us. And I think if you don't understand when God loved you, you don't understand the depth of his love and how you were created to be. What we see is we are loved with the best kind of love because uh, if God is real and God loves us, then he must love us with the best kind of love. And this, this initiating, pursuing, loving us first is the best kind of love. It's, it's the love that you and I look for everywhere. I feel like I started uh, to learn this as, um, uh, as my daughter has grown. Uh, I have a two-year-old daughter who is sitting in the back. I think she's in the nursery now. And uh, when my wife and I found out that we were pregnant with her, uh, before obviously we had even met her, there were some things that I did. I uh, started to look around and I saw that my old uh, 2000 Toyota Camry with uh, wheels that were practically falling off with um, all kinds of mechanical problems wasn't one gonna be big enough and wasn't gonna be safe enough. And so I said, you know, I probably need to uh, sell this car and get something that's going to be safe for her. And I kept looking around. I realized, you know, right now there's not really anywhere for her to sleep. I shouldn't have anything to play with. But we can clear out some, some boxes and some furniture in this spare bedroom, and we can give her a place where she will enjoy to be. And she was born, and I looked at her, and I said, you know, she's not going to educate herself. I can actually uh, decide that I won't spend some of my money on some things, and I can start saving money so she can have an education. And before I even knew her, she had so many things done for her uh, that, that had love lavished on her. My, wife, my, my daughter, I mean, did not start our relationship. I didn't wait for her to love me to decide what I would do. And this is the kind of, of pursuing, unending, unwoosable love that we have in the Father. It's the kind of love that makes you secure. Because it's a love you didn't start, and so it's a relationship that you cannot end. And I've realized now, even just looking back over a few years, that I've never been more delighted to reorient every part of my life 
to lavish every ounce of love that I have on someone than I have in that relationship. And what we see here from Paul in Ephesians is that God has loved you like that. That he chose you before the world began. That he reoriented everything to be with you. That he sent Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That he was willing to lose it all to save his people. And so if you understand what it means that you've been loved that way, it begins to change everything about your life. I think that it means that um, you realize that you don't have to have everything together to come to Jesus, that, that you don't have to have all the right answers, you don't have to have all of your theology in a row, you don't have to have your life put together in order to come to him, that he actually pursues and goes after broken people like you and I. I think that has to to swell our hearts with real joy. It's got to change something about the way that we live and the way that we love other people. Another implication from this passage uh, is that if you're a Christian, it's not because of what you've done. It's because God has done something for you. And that means that you know that you are someone who because of Christ uh, got Everything that, that you have, not because of what you deserved, but because of the grace of Jesus. And that has to humble us as Christians. I think if you understand the love that you have received from Jesus, you will be humble. You'll be humble because you've seen real grace. Because people who experience grace go and give grace to other people. I think that it's not typically known as a mark of the church um, that we are humble and that we are gracious. And this text reminds us again and again of the love that we've received and that this love ought to change us to love other people. It's the point that Paul makes all throughout the rest of the book of Ephesians. You've been loved this way, therefore go and live like it. I think this, this type of Humility will extend to loving people who don't look and act and think like you. I mean, you you need to ask yourself if you have people in your life now who don't look and act and think like you. Are you willing to humble yourselves to go and, and relate to people who are different than you? Are all of your relationships people who just agree with you and, and, and talk about the, the, the bad people out there? Will you humble yourself to go and make relationships like that? I think this type of humility out of knowing that we've been loved first by Jesus also means that you'll confess your sins to those that you've wronged. You won't wait to be confronted. You'll actually look into your own heart and you'll see how you've hurt the people around you. And you'll understand that, that Jesus pursued you with this type of love And so the calling of the Christian is to go and repent and love other people this same way. To call out your own sin and ask for forgiveness. I think this type of humility uh, means that you will take real steps towards holiness and Christ-likeness. That the, the fruits of the Spirit will be part of a daily exercise in your life. 
Do you actually pursue love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, that these will be marks that are becoming truer and truer in your life because you know how deeply Jesus has loved you. And you'll live with this humility um, and you'll pursue holiness because verse 4 says that he chose us, that he, he chose to save us for this purpose, that we would be holy and blameless before God. And so I just want to challenge us this morning. How are you doing at living out your identity as one who's been lavished with this love by God? Does understanding the love that you have from the Father change anything about the way that you live? If it doesn't, I would invite you to go back to the beginning, to actually consider events in your life, maybe even situations that you know are coming up this afternoon or throughout the rest of this week, and ask, how is the fact that Jesus has loved me and pursued me with this kind of love actually changed the way that I deal with, with X situation that's coming up? If you don't know how loved you are by God, you don't know who you are. The second thing that we see from this passage, and there, there are many things that I could pull out, but the second uh, that I want to highlight is that you and I are one um, who are adopted by God. That God was under no compulsion to have you and I. But if you are a Christian, it's because God wanted you. Look with me at verse 5. Paul says that God predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So the second thing that I want you to know is that if you are in Christ, it means that you are saved for a purpose. That God didn't just look at you and love you. That that wasn't enough. That he actually pursued you with an end in mind. That he went after you and me to make you his child. That he saved you so that you would have all the rights and privileges of becoming a child of God. That he pursued you so that you could be secure in your relationship with him. I think... You know, as children, we all um, have had times where we wondered how secure we were in our relationship with our parents. Maybe as, as a younger child, you ran away from home, or as a teenager, you fought with your parents because you didn't know everything that they knew. And so um, you, you maybe found at a time in your life you were kind of always at odds with your parents. Um, I have a friend who was adopted. Um, her name's Renee, and Renee talked about uh, this insecurity that she always felt in her relationship with her parents because of her adoption um, that caused her to always fight with her mom, especially. They never saw eye to eye. Uh, Renee would, would rebel from her parents and kind of always do the opposite of what they wanted her to do. And one day when she was a teenager, she'd finally had enough of it. And she made a plan to run away from home. And she did, and she got as far away as she could get. And of course, um, her parents, as soon as they realized that she was gone, they called everyone they knew, they called the police, they looked, and they didn't sleep until they found her. And Renee, telling me about this story, said that 
when she saw her parents, she just cried and said, you don't love me, you never did. And her parents, with tears in her eyes, said, you know that we love you. We adopted you. We spared no expense to get you. We used every ounce of time and energy and resource to pursue you. You think that we don't love you because you've been adopted? The sign that you are loved is that you are adopted. That you are as secure in this relationship as you can be. That we wanted you as part of our family and you will never be anything but that. God loves his people with an adopting love. He knew what he was getting into when he saved you and me. Because you've been adopted, nothing will get in the way of God's love for you. He spared nothing to get you. He gave up his own son so that you could be in his family. He has done all the work that's been necessary for you and I to be a child of God. And so being children of God is in our DNA. When we understand that we've been adopted, that we are his children, it again changes the way that we live. It changes the way that we see ourselves because our our identity has changed and everything flows out of that identity. And here's the thing. People will say, well, if I've been adopted, if I've been loved by God, if I'm as secure as I can be in my relationship with God, then that means that I can do whatever I want. That actually God has to love me. And so I can live any way that I please. But again, remember verse 4, that he chose us in him that we should be holy and blameless before him. And if you, if you find yourself kind of revolting from that verse, it's because maybe you see holiness as God keeping you from the joy of your sin. That holiness is just kind of drudgery. That it's not something that uh, you really wish was true, but you have to do because uh, you, you've embraced this Christianity thing. It's just how you have to live. But I, what I want to convince you of is that holiness is part of your DNA. It's how you were designed to be as a child of God. And, and God gave it to us. God gave us the gift of pursuing him and holiness as a gift because it's what's best for us. Because he loves us and knows us and wants us to grow in likeness to him. So sometimes uh, we live as though our relationships were meant just to make us happy. And so in our sinfulness, we just pursue relationships for the, fear, for the, the pure joy of it. And when relationships don't make us happy, we just throw them behind us and we just move on. But when we live as adopted children who are designed to be holy, we realize that we are created to serve other people in our relationships. And instead of destroying our relationships by our demands and our selfishness and and ruining them every time uh, we, we don't feel happy in them anymore, we actually start to serve those around us. And we see that pursuing a life of holiness is actually designed for our good and our relationships grow and thrive and we have real community and we're around people that we can love who love us and we're asking the question how can I serve my neighbor 
because we see ourselves primarily as children adopted by God, asked to live as his children, asked to live as part of the family. Or maybe for others of us, we live as though pleasure is our ultimate good. And in our sin, we just pursue whatever feels good to us. We don't heed the warning of wiser people speaking into our lives, and we just pursue pleasure. And in doing so, we slowly uh, lose our own soul and we destroy our dignity and our self-worth. But when we live as children who understand our adoption, we submit to following Jesus. And we begin to do things the way that he asked us to do. And so our pleasure doesn't become a thing that controls us, but we actually enjoy the things of the world as a gift from God without abusing them. And we can actually look at the world around us and and love it and enjoy it and use it as a gift because God, through his adopting love, has, has freed us as his children that there are implications to being an adopted child of God that changes the way that you and I live, that we desire to grow in holiness because we love God and we know that he wants what's best for us. As God changes you to be more holy, he's returning you to the way that you were created to be. He's asking you to be holy because it's the most loving thing that he can do. He asks you to be holy in this text because uh, being holy is how you live as a a child who's been loved by God and who's been adopted. So our question this morning is, who are you? And if you're a Christian, who are you because of Christ? And how has God loved you? What what does that look like? Um, There's... (laughs) There's this great movie that um, just about every RUF campus minister, I think, is about required to watch called How and the Real Girl. It's a 2007 Ryan Gosling movie. Um, it's actually on Netflix. You can check it out. Um, it's a good one. Um, and it, it starts a lot, of, a lot of great discussion, even though it's a, a really bizarre movie. If you've ever seen it, um, you know how, how strange the movie is. Um, and it's about this guy named Hal um, who is just as dysfunctional as a person can be. He has um, kind of social anxieties. He has some, some mental uh, issues that he's working through. And so it kind of creates this quirky guy who, um, he, who can't go throughout his day and function. When, uh, when people try to touch him, it feels like he's being burned. And so he just kind of like recluses away from people. He can't look anyone in the eye. He can't, he can't speak in public. He just he has um, no ability um, to be around people. And so he's completely isolated and alone. And so Hal one day um, calls up his sister and tells his sister that he started dating a girl named Bianca. And um, his sister's kind of confused but um, a little bit excited about it because they've wanted Hal to get out of, out of his house and out of his room. And Hal asks if he can bring Bianca, his girlfriend, over for dinner. And when he does, um, the whole family is there to meet her. And Bianca uh, is a five-foot-tall inflatable doll that he's ordered online, that he carries around because he can touch her and not feel burned, that he can look at her and talk to her and not feel awkward. 
And there's this moment where Bianca comes through the door, where Hal's carrying her in, and everyone has to decide, what are they going to do? And the family decides that they're going to treat Bianca like she's part of the family. They're not going to call Hal out on it. They're just going to go with it. And so they do, and Hal, being loved by his family, actually begins to feel free. And he starts taking Bianca around town. And what happens is the entire community just goes with it. They, they just they treat Bianca like she's one of them. And everybody, when they're watching the movie, has a point where they say, okay, this has gone too far. Like, it was funny at first, but it's just gone too far. Near the, near the end of the movie, uh, Bianca dies, and they hold a full, a full Christian funeral for Bianca. And for me, that was the point where I'm like, okay, this has just gone way too far. And that's the point of the movie, that there was nothing that was too much or too far for their communities to love how, that there was no line they would not cross, that they were willing to do anything so that he would be made whole, so that he could be around people, so that he could know how loved he is. There was no line. That is the beauty of this passage, that there is no line that Jesus was unwilling to cross to get you. That he was willing to go as far as to send God himself to earth to suffer and die on your behalf. That is as crazy, uh, <laughs> as crazy a, a, a way to, to deal with this as, as you could imagine. But there was no line. If you're here and you're not a believer, you have to know that this is the scandal and the beauty of the gospel. That you are invited into a relationship with God who has pursued you with his own life. Who is calling you into his adoptive love that there is no line that he is unwilling to cross, there is no part of your life that he is unwilling to touch so that you'll be healed. Friends, Jesus has loved you and I before the foundation of the world. He knew us and adopted us to be his children. He knew that he would suffer humiliation. He knew that he would go to the cross. There is no line that he wouldn't cross for us to be his children. So church, who are you? What is your identity? I want you to go out this morning believing and remembering again, reorienting your heart to the truth of the gospel that you have been loved deeply by Jesus, that he has pursued you and that there is no line he would not cross to get you, and that he has adopted you into your family, into his family, that you are a child of God. We are children of God. We are loved first by him and brought into his family. And the way that that changes us filters out into every area of our lives. So that is my prayer and my invitation this morning to remember who you are, that you 
are God's. Let's pray. Father, we, we need you this morning um, to be with us. We need you to teach us. We need you to remind us of what is true about us. We ask um, that you would um, even be with us in this meal that we're about to take together. That we are taking a family meal as your children. Lord, would you um, restore our hearts? Would you renew us again this morning? We ask that you would be with us in Christ's name. Amen.